Let us continue to listen for God's word. In these words from the Gospel of Matthew, beginning at the 10th chapter, 24th verse. No, actually, I think this is later than that, but that's okay. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of a righteous. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. And here ends the reading from Scripture. Whoever welcomes you. These are among the last words of a rallying speech that Jesus makes to his 12 disciples as he sends them out on their first missionary journey. And they are sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. When Jesus called the Twelve, I think he assumed that his ministry would be one of reform among the Israelites, God's chosen people. Over time, he seems to have come to understand more deeply God's call. He seems to learn that his life and the work of his disciples will be bigger than among the Twelve Tribes the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and would also include Gentiles. Jesus came to understand that the God he knew as creator of all and his Abba, Father, was also Abba to all people living. Jesus came to understand how very, very radical God's welcome is, and therefore ours as his followers must be. But at the moment pictured in these few verses in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus' focus is on Israel and its factions, social divisions, and the current oppression under which they lived in Roman occupation. He wanted to strengthen his disciples as they went out for the first time to witness to God's healing power and love among their neighbors, knowing that not all of them would welcome the news as good, since it would be different from the old news they already knew. Jesus called his disciples to be like he was, prophets in the mode of Isaiah and Jeremiah, speaking truth to power, whether that power was a Jewish king or a foreign power like Egypt or Babylonia, Assyria, Greece or Rome. Prophets insist that no Israelite worship or fear an idol. 
but render worship only to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses, the one who gave them the land in which they lived and the law by which they governed themselves. Most of the time, just like now, people had to negotiate how to live a moral life. Nothing was simple. Back in Jesus' day, Rome demanded behavior that a good Jew could not do. Accommodations had to be made without succumbing to the idolatry of Caesar worship or financial shenanigans. When occupying armies spend money wildly and less than scrupulous individuals collect taxes, it is very easy to be confused about money. As is true now, so was true then. Occupying armies, a lot of money, and much taxing authority breed corruption. Good people could even believe that by skimming money off the top of the collected taxes, they could then use it for good purposes, better purposes than the government had in mind. Jesus cut through all the fog of confusion in a difficult age back then, as well as right now, to insist we focus on God, who alone is completely good. God's law calls us to love our neighbors, those we like and those we don't. God's law calls us to radical self-examination, which we can do in light of God's love for us as Abba, forgiving, compassionate love. Jesus tells us we do not need to pretend before God. God welcomes us. Indeed, God welcomes all people, asking only that we love one another. Simple, but not simplistic. To weigh the needs of others right alongside the needs of those nearest and dearest to us as we make daily decisions is hard. But that is our call as it was the call of the disciples as they first went out to spread good news, to seek welcome where they might find it. When those first disciples went out to tell their neighbors that the kingdom was here now, in their midst, and to listen to Jesus' voice if they wanted to hear God speaking, they already knew the first story we heard read this morning that one from Genesis. Abraham and Isaac is a foundational faith story, a radical faith story. Would you trust God's love enough to give up your most beloved if God asked you to? 
It is so hard to hear this story in our American context. We are a country of rugged individualists. We tend to focus first on our nuclear family, way before we hear the claim of tribe or nation or world upon us. When Abraham and Sarah were alive, they had already sacrificed their original tribal relationships to leave the land of Ur and go they knew not where to follow God's invitation to birth a new nation, a chosen people. In this morning's story, God calls Abraham to sacrifice the child of promise, the one who would be the vehicle for the future people. Another way to think about this story is to ask, could you let go of your vocation late in life, which has become your entire reason for living. What if you begin to think that you heard wrong when you left Ur, thinking you were following God's word? Now one lesson taught to people of faith from this story is that God does not require child sacrifice. In earlier times, among many different tribes of people, such sacrifice was part of worship of many different gods. This story teaches that though Israel's God is a jealous one, demanding radical obedience, God does not and will not ask for the sacrifice of the youth of our tribes. We might think about that truth when we analyze government policies and budgets in our democratic governments today. Sometimes to me it looks like child sacrifice. However, the deeper truth in this story is the demanding quality of God's love for us. Sometimes we think of the compassion of God, the steadfast love of God, as pure comfort and simple, available on demand when we get anxious enough to give God a passing thought, offer up a foxhole prayer in the middle of some quandary or another. If you have ever wondered, as I surely have, why the power of all the faithful people of goodwill on this earth seems so meager in the face of the power of evil to do awful things, wage war, traffic in human beings, form cartels to sell drugs to addicted people, 
focus business only on short-term profit? All we have to do is look in the mirror and think. Where does God's ask that we love our neighbors rank in our decision-making process? As Americans on this Independence Weekend of fireworks and fun, we cannot help but be aware that we continue an experiment in democratic government on behalf of many other groups of people who at least once upon a time thought we had it right. Some of them no longer think we do. Some of us wonder about that question much more than we used to. As Christians, we are called to love one another, including those currently in power in our country. We are also called to honorable citizenship and to use our considerable gifts to make noise on behalf of those voices not heard in current debates. We are called not only to be sure our welcome mat here at 7th Avenue is always out to seekers who find our front door, but also to go out into the world spreading the good news of Jesus' way of life more broadly. We are called to active love of neighbor, which is God's kingdom come, the one Jesus and his first disciples preached. May it be so. Amen. <laughs>